How are you? Oh, now the sun comes out. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, wow. Okay, well, we're going to continue in Colossians. And I'm just going to get this ready. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. As we've just heard that you are ever present, always present. And we just acknowledge you right now in this moment that you would speak to our hearts. That our hearts would be open enough to hear your whisper, to hear your voice. And we pray that you would speak into our hearts and the deep inner recesses of our beings. That we would uh, learn, grow, discover, receive healing, develop, mature and be all that you have called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, we are going to continue in Colossians chapter 3, the entire end of chapter 2. Can I just say that uh, chapter 3 is, I said chapter 1 was my favourite. I said chapter 2 is my favourite, but I really, really mean that chapter 3 is really my favourite. And uh, if you can just see, if you look into my eyes, my eyes are a bit dark this morning because uh, as I was looking up here this morning, there was bright lights everywhere. Did you see them? Did you see Abby's, Abby and Lily's hand and the rings and the bling? Yeah. I was looking at the bling. It was all bling this morning, but uh, thank you both of you and uh, thank you to Lily uh, and also Yvette because you were last minute. We had a few cancellations, a couple of people were not well, Kristen and... Uh, Beth, and you guys jumped in and, uh, and stepped up to the plate, so we're very, very appreciative. Again, we're looking and learning about how to experience fullness of life in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul was writing this letter to a bunch of people, a group of believers, a new church that had Jews and Gentiles, had different people believing different things from historical references and applying and bringing that into the church and it created a little bit of disarray. Paul wanted to set it straight and I think that in the process of what we've discovered and learned about God's grace, identity, God's favour, God's love, this chapter for me would have to be, oh, I think probably Paul's favourite and it interwoves, it interweaves, sorry, into the whole of the, uh, the gospel and what we've been singing this morning. Excuse me. Okay. So I want to just hopefully do some justice to this. I think this is a message that could be four to six weeks. There's a lot here and I'm going to just give you some of the headlines of what was happening. And I pray that you would discover maybe and hear God in the midst of this. Uh, it's one of my favourite topics as well. And we'll get into that right now. But I want you just to remember the theme that we've been sharing over these last 12 weeks. How to experience fullness of life in Christ Jesus. Think of that word for a moment, experience. Because this is the shift that we're now seeing happen in Colossians chapter 3. Paul is emphasising our experience and what it should look like, what it should sound like. So we're going to emphasise that in the next few moments, remembering Paul is reshaping their thinking. He's wanting them to think different about themselves, about their faith, uh, about Jesus, uh, uh, their beliefs, and obviously, of course, it determines their behaviour. In chapter 2, just to, just to recap, it is always and still is about Jesus. We've been singing those, those songs. 
Paul warned us not to get caught up in the Christianity without Christ. Bad teaching was invading the church with this hypo-spiritual Christianity that there was all about this secret knowledge and a big box of don't do's. This will lead us to living a miserable and judgmental Christian life. And Paul said that Christianity is not living in the shadow of Jesus, but rather in the person of Jesus. So we can get so familiar with our beliefs and our ideas, our theologies, our understanding, but it should never impair the fact that we are meant to have an intimate, living, loving relationship with Jesus every day. That is our goal. Every day you wake up, your goal and God's goal for you is that you would be intimate, that you would be close, that there'd be connection, that there'd be transformation. And so that's what God is seeking to do. And Paul wants to bring it home in this chapter as he starts to transition from theology to practical experiencing in God. I believe God's a God to be experienced. I can't tell you of some of those experiences uh, that you may be experienced, but I can speak of mine. I, I don't know what you would make of this, but I remember being in a service as a new believer. I had no theology no understanding, and some probably think I still don't, but I had no understanding what was about to happen in the service. I went out for prayer, and as I was prayed for, I was slain in the spirit. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't understand what it meant, but it freaked me out. Then there was this like electricity going through my body, and I was like this, and I couldn't work out what was happening. I was actually, I was actually afraid, but I didn't feel fearful, but I was afraid because I'm thinking, Am I having, something's happening in my body? Is it, I'm having a, a fit or a seizure? I, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, people around about me came, came around and as they accompanied me, they, they begin to, to explain what was happening and I understood it. I haven't had too many of them, but I know that when God meets with you, sometimes we just get a little too much. I feel like we just had a little bit more than we're maybe meant to. And I just can't experience it other to feel like I have been electrocuted in real life. Don't, don't ask me about that. That's another story, Nathan. But it, it was very similar, just current. It didn't hurt, but it was, it was a little scary. Paul's saying that you can have all the head knowledge, you can have all the heart knowledge, but now it's almost what I would call the Trinity experience, where you have the experience of knowledge, the experience of heart, and the experience of life. And all those together allow us to fully engage in what God wants to do. And when we live at that place, something begins to change. And that's what this chapter is all about. I won't say much into Colossians chapter 2. It is on the screen there. Uh, you, can, you can read that. But there's, there's elements there where don't submit to regulations, don't touch this, don't do that. Uh, and these are things that you listen to. These are things that you used to do, but these aren't what you need to be focusing on. These are doctrines of men. Rather, you need to be focusing on what God wants to do in your life. Now, I'm not going to read all of the 17 verses that we have now in chapter 3 out. I'm going to break them up into each point, and hopefully that will give some sense of picture and big, uh, big idea as to what God is saying, just for time. I don't know about you, but have you ever said something you've regretted? I know, I can hear the murmur. We've all been there. Have you not said something you've regretted? 
Did you do something that you regretted? Did you not do something that you regretted? I think if we're all honest, we have. We've been there. And we'll probably still be there because that's life. So Paul is dealing with this understanding of shifting from dealing with beliefs and ideologies to moving to how to walk it out. This is very powerful. And I've seen this come back again and again through believers' lives, young believers, believers that I went to church with who are not following Jesus anymore. Something shifted, and I believe you can find the answers right here in Colossians chapter 3. It's very clear and very plain to see. There are other scriptures, of course, but we're dealing with Colossians. So it's not how much you know or how much you uh, intellectualize Christ or theology or how educated you are. We must encounter God. But there's a juggle, a juggle between knowing what to do and not doing it. And as long as I've been a Christian, I've seen this like-shaped battle waging within believers some more than others, but there seems to be some sort of battle going on, the battle between knowing what to do and actually doing it. And this is what Paul is labouring on. There's going to be some change of behaviour. One thing he says remains, the equal playing field is that we all have to put off some things. We all have to stop doing some things to move forward. Otherwise, the struggle remains maybe even dominates. We think of temptation. We've all faced it. I, I read and you have read of a local religious family who had a business uh, not too far away in Tassie who decided that they didn't believe they should pay their taxes or certain taxes to the government. In doing so, they were taken to court and the business closed. It's not a great witness, is it? Just saying. Not everybody wants to do the right thing. We live in a society that seeks to want to get away with whatever we can. I believe it's a form of evolutionary thinking, survival of the fittest, whoever lasts the longest, whoever's the toughest, the bravest, wins. But more than that, it's a taking mentality. And sometimes that can creep into the church, into our own hearts and lives, into our families. And so Paul is saying, we need to do some things. If you want to live in this life, you want to live the life in the fullness of Christ and experience that, here's the secret, Paul says. So let's have a look at that. First point, number one. I really agonised over the titles of these points. You wouldn't believe it. I finished this like about 9.30 last night. Usually my message is hopefully finished by about 6 or 7 o'clock on a Thursday. And I agonised just thinking and weighing over it because I had some different thoughts I wanted to to really just articulate God's heart since we're racing through this just a little. But number one, seek upward. Let's read it out. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on what? Things above. In other words, looking to the heavens, looking to that which has been provided, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires and greed, sorry, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. How do we do this? 
How do we allow this to happen in our lives? Well, we allow it by making Christ and allowing Christ to be centre. Everything that we've been singing this morning, the songs that we first sang is just centering ourselves upon Jesus, what Jesus is providing and wanting to do through us. There's a lot in here, but set in your hearts. So seek upwards. Think of heaven. Think of what's been provided for us. Think of all that Christ has done. And he talks on about our life being hidden. Some of the blessings that, that I've read about this is, speaks of being safe and protected. It also speaks of, of, of the world, not understanding our relationship, what it means to be Christian. But also gives a sense of future hope and the security as Jesus is coming back. We stop wanting and we start trusting. Paul says we died according to the practice, but not our position in Christ. Verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek or set, as the scriptures say. It actually is the word, it means in the Greek seek, it means to strive for earnestly those things which are above. Because we know that Jesus is really raised from the dead, then our identification with him becomes real. It's only because we are raised with Christ that we can seek those things. Before I was a believer, I had no interest in Christ, no interest in church, no interest in fellowship of, of, of what we understand it to be. No interest. But when I became a Christian, everything changed. I wanted to be with other believers as much as I can. Every night, every day, if I could. We just live, put my bed to the church. Just love to be in this whole new world that God just, just had been doing and working in my life. And maybe you've had that same experience or experiencing that. Paul used baptism. We learned that in chapter 2 about the spiritual reality that we have now in Colossians 2.12. That we've left, we've walked away, symbolising identification. We've walked away from the old life. Now all things are new. Morgan says this, the word seek marks aspiration, desire and passion. In order to seek these things, the mind must be set on them. I know as a motorcyclist riding motorbikes for a long, long time, for many years, it happens in driving a car, but a bike more particular, what you look at is where you go. Don't look at the tree, you'll hit it. Watch the corner at the edge of that bend, you'll go down that thing. And it's true. I've tried this out. It works. <laughs> Trust me. Don't you have to experience it for yourself. This is true. What you look at is where you end up. And so Paul is reminding you, seek upward. Look upward. Center your mind and your thoughts and your heart on Christ and all that he has done, all that he means. But there's more. We go from chapter Chapter 2, to don't handle, don't touch these negative emphasis now to something that's positive. Put to death. Do something positive. It means, even in the Greek, it means mortify, which belongs to our worldly nature. Look at these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, uh, lust, evil, desires, greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry is anything that gets in the way of you and your relationship with Jesus or in between that. Put to death is translated mortify. To make dead, put to death, slay, deprive of power, destroy the strength of. Vaughan says this, literally it means to make dead. 
Mortify means to make dead. There's a lot of parallels in Scripture on this, but this is one of my pet subjects in learning how this works in our lives. He says this, it suggests that we not simply suppress or control evil acts or attitudes, but we are to wipe them out completely, completely exterminate the old way of life. And because we look upward and because Christ lives in us, we can do that. You cannot do it pre-Christ. You can only do it during and with Christ. It is his power, as we've looked at, his strength that lives and abides in us. Paul, in other places in the Bible, speaks about and calls this the flesh principle, the body, the temple that we have. As it is said, a man lies dead in a casket. He can no longer satisfy fleshly desires. They are dead with him. Paul asks, how shall we be uh, that are dead to sin live any longer to it? In Romans 6.2. We shouldn't. Sin shouldn't have a sway over us. We can be influenced, but we have the power of choice. We can choose not to sin. My personal belief is that uh, as an unbeliever, I could choose not to not sin. I was living in sin, contaminated with sin, defined by sin, stained by sin, as each one of us was. Have a look at the slide here. Notice what Paul says. He did not say that sin is dead to us, but we are dead to sin. You can see the cross in the middle with the chain broken. Paul's saying we are dead to sin, but sin is not dead to us. The font looks a little distorted. Sorry about that. It changes from my fonts to, to the computer fonts at church. I did have those letters closer together, just in case you're wondering. Uh, the point is that the old nature is destroyed, not destroyed, but it is, it is dethroned. Our obligation is to, uh, to obey the flesh has ended. There's a lot on this and I think it's really important when I'm talking with new believers, particularly I find this to be the journey and the questions that they ask. This can be the area of the biggest battleground for believers until Christ returns. This flesh principle, this denial of self, we are learning that everything that we need to appropriate and to live this life that God has called us to live can be lived it can be accomplished. Jesus said it is finished, but we have to do something, Paul says. We have to be committed to it and do it resolutely. Jesus called the crowd to him with his disciples in Mark 8.34 and said this, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely disown your own life and you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own. Paul was saying these very words earlier. As you continually surrender to my ways. Jesus called this denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. Not to become a monk or be secluded from the world, but we learn how to live in the world, but not to allow the world to live in us. The boat is supposed to be in the water, but when the water is in the boat, that's when things get dangerous. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Again, 
letting to learn how we are now living with Christ. We don't have to have this outward act anymore. There's now an inward act, an inward work of God where our heart is committed to following Jesus. God's law is written on our hearts. It's in my heart. Not from do's and don'ts and lists and rules and regulations, but I want to. I want to follow Jesus. I know you want to follow Jesus. We have that desire because God is living in us. Paul says you need to realign your life. You need to rediscover and live from that place of victory. Apply the victory of Christ to your life. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I haven't got time to speak on these. These are sexual sins. But these, are, these bring ruin. These bring destruction. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire. Nothing good comes of these, friends. Talk to too many people. Experience in my own life. It's horrible. Then we have greed, which is idolatry. Covetous. This insidious greed. I like what Morgan says about greed. Just think about this for a moment. He says the problem with greed, maybe the world would be so much sweeter if it wasn't for greed. Maybe if I just, if I have to have that. The serpent, when you're speaking, speaking to Eve, if Eve just said, I don't, I don't need it, I, don't, I trust God. I'm not inclined to want that. He says, first, when considering greed or covetousness as being terribly destructive, he says, first, it is idolatry in that it only obtains when man thinks of life consisting of things possessed rather in righteous relationship to God. He says, it is also the sin against others for to satisfy the desire others are wronged. And third, he says, finally, it is self-destructive. For these wrong conceptions and activities always react upon the soul to its own undoing. Uh, Being raised in a single family, this is no excuse, single parent. Uh, We didn't get a real lot, so what we got, we would cherish and hold on to. Maybe some of you can understand that in your, your experience and upbringing. So you've heard me say this before, I'm not great at sharing. If the chips and the lollies are going around, it's, it's a big challenge to want to share them out. And I'm still learning how to do that because I wanted to have what I had and not give it out. It was this, this thing of greed, keeping it to myself, not sharing, not being wanting to be part of that. Ephesians 2.2 says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rule of the kingdom of air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But he's saying that's not you. When you seek heaven, when you're thinking upward, when you're seeking upward, you need to realise it's going to change how you look at things, change how you see God, change how you see life. See, the Bible says, oh, we are new creations, more than conquerors, made new, put right, declared righteous, saved, delivered, set free. This is who we are. We don't have to be that. We don't have to live to the ways of the world. We don't have to be like the world. We're called to be someone and something different. Paul is emphasising this is the experience of Christ. Number two, seek upward. Sorry, seek inward. Set your resolve. Otherwise, make no provision for the flesh. 
Verse 6 says this, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in your life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all these such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and its ways and its habits. And now you have put on a new garment, a new self, uncirc- uh, yourself, which has been renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And then we read here, there is no Gentile or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And you know, this is a great powerful scripture to understand how God brings down the wall, smashes down the wall of, of division. An equal playing field. Everyone can be open. Everyone can receive. Everyone can have opportunity to be born again by the power and presence of Jesus. The only remedy for sinful passions is found in the believer's experience of union with Christ, says Vaughan. Put off the old self and its practices, the way you used to live. If I was a Christian, I can only speak of the things that I used to do and say and how by the very power and virtue of Christ, I was able to stop. I swore like a trooper and it stopped. I don't even meant it to happen. I didn't even intend for it to happen. It just happened. I just didn't want to be that person anymore. I hanged out with my friends, but it does be a shift. Not that it's wrong. We should be reaching the people, reaching the world. But at that point, I felt their, their influence on me was greater than mine on theirs. I needed to make this decision just to get strong and get resolute, get my feet on solid ground and know who I am in Christ. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let, let us lay aside every weight. This word put away and put off means that. It means to almost like take off a garment and put on another garment. I was in the garden yesterday wearing my stretchy, holy jeans and paint over them and dirty and grotty and there I am. I haven't worn them today. I took them off. Fortunately, you'd know that. I had a shower and here I am all nice, fresh and clean. This is what he's saying. Take off that stuff. Take off those garments, those things that defined you, that made you who you are. Get rid of them. Because that's not who you are. And if you want to experience victory, if you want to experience fullness of life in Christ Jesus, these are the simple things. Break it down. Look upward. Centre your hope, your life, your focus. Recognise the grace of God that's working in your life. Put off, put off. Make no provision for the flesh. Set your resolve. The word reckon in some translations here says, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts. Romans 13, 14. It means to make calculation, count it as, meditate on, consider it completed. Reckoning goes behind, beyond human knowledge. It moves our faith out of the realm of the pure intellectual and it makes it supremely practical. Colossians 3.10, you are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. 
I don't want to talk about all these sins, but I do want to mention about uh, forgiveness, understanding the power of forgiveness, understanding how to walk in these things. There's a lot of things I did. I can't tell you what I did before I was a Christian. I can only speak from my story, my version. You have your story. You have your version. But there are things that I did and that when I became a Christian, I just found these things were just stripping off me. They were just coming off. I would go do this. I'd go to the nightclubs. I'd do that. I'd do these things and these behaviours started to change. I was surprised by myself. Why am I not wanting to do this? Even the invitation to go to church, I said no when I was asked. My reaction was no, thank you very much, appreciate your interest and concern, I'm not going. Not interested. I said a bit nicer than that. But that's what I was saying. And then about five minutes later I come back and say, is that invitation still open? And they nearly fell off their chairs. That's my story. It all changed. Listening to God, God invading our lives. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. I remember sitting in, a, in my Jolux cafeteria with some guys and there was a new believer there and he was asking me all these questions about, well, how do you, how do you stop sinning and how do you know and, and how do you work this out? And, I, and what's the difference? And I just said this, I just know that I have the power now not to choose to sin. I can walk away from it. I can walk away from temptation, not to be proud of myself, but I know that God with me gives me the power. That means I'm not going to get too close to the edge. I'm not going to walk. How close can I get before I fall? You'll never see another female in my car unless it's an emergency. You'll never see a vet in my car sitting in the front seat. You'll never see anyone unless it's an emergency, because I want to walk circumspectly. I want to do what is right, not only in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of, of the person, in your eyes of my eyes. I'm not tempted. I don't feel that temptation. But I've set certain standards. I met with some pastors just the other week and, and the team and the, and, the, and the assistant female pastor and the senior pastor um, came together in the one car and they looked like a lovely couple. No, not really. They weren't a couple. Just say no, just joking, joking. They weren't a couple. But that's the image sometimes that we perceive. I think we've got to look circumspectly. So I can choose what I can do. You can choose what you can do. Have a look at this. Sound knowledge is the foundation of our new position in Christ. The entire Christian life is established on knowledge of divine principles, sound doctrine and biblical truth. So no one forces me. You, you really couldn't force me to do wrong or right. I choose. I choose how to respond. I choose if I react. I choose. I own it. And that's why we say seek inward. God, what do I need to change in here? What do I need to surrender? This is powerful because this chapter sets the, the pace. It sets the rhythm for what our lives will look like in Christ Jesus. This chapter will tell you what you will be, look like in the future, what we apply, what we put into practice. And number three, seek Jesus. So we seek upward, we get the heaven's perspective, we get all that God is wanting to work and do in our hearts and lives. We seek inward, we learn and we reflect, we ponder and we learn and we discover who we are now becoming 
being made and formed and shaped in the image of God. All the songs we'll sing this morning said that. But now we seek Jesus. This is setting our tone. It's fixing our heart on Christ. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. I don't know, but just looking at this even this morning as I was going over it, have a look what it says. With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Almost thinking that is the fruit of the Spirit except for love, joy and peace. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I grew up embittered by life's experiences. I wondered why my dad didn't want me. I wondered why these things had gone and why did my mum get with this guy? It was just all these things. And so I blamed everyone. I had a lot of unforgiveness. My life and my decisions were characterised by this unforgiveness. It was shaping me and moulding me. And we're learning here that this is not the way it's meant to be. This is not who we're meant to be. We're meant to be putting on Christ, bearing one another, who forgave you. So we need to forgive. So I find it extremely easy to forgive. I'm learning how to forgive. But I still find it easier to forgive than I ever have. I know that it does me no good to hold anything in deep in my heart. Let the peace of Christ, look, it says this. Sorry, in verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell amongst, among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God, to God with gratitude in your hearts. And he Almost closes before he goes to the next part. And then he says in verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yvette shared those thoughts this morning in her, in her prayer, that we seek Jesus, that every day that we are alive, that there's that place that we have time that we seek Jesus. That is primarily the only relationship that truly matters. When that gets right, everything else will flow down. Your identity is to that of your servant, the master, Jesus Christ. You are now freed now to put to death your old mindset and our heart's desires to thinking, acting and reacting and seeking to do that which now glorifies Jesus. There's a change there's a transition. Jesus becomes our all in all. So let's choose forgiveness. Let's not gossip. Let's not talk about things that we shouldn't talk about. Let's be diligent. Let's be faithful. Let's bear with each other. Why would Paul say that if it wasn't important? Bear with each other. Clothe yourselves. Put on compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility, gentleness, patience. I struggle with some of them, to be honest with you. But I'm learning how to walk in those areas of my life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you so richly that it finds spontaneous expression in song, 
in the Christian assemblies or in the home, says Peak. A.T. Robertson put it, well, it is love that makes us truly free to do right. Love makes the choice easy. Love makes the face of duty beautiful. Love makes it sweet to keep up with Christ. Love makes the service of goodness, freedom. Ephesians 4.20 says, but isn't this how you learned about Christ? Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. The same theme is running in this book of Ephesians. Throw off the sinful nature and your formal life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on a new nature created in Christ Jesus. For those who are coming back, please prepare. It's about to close. This is a powerful, extremely powerful chapter that we have just really rushed through and I apologise. But if you can remember these things, keep seeking upward, keep seeking inward, learning, Lord, I wanna follow you. I wanna be all that you've called me to be. And keep seeking Christ, to encounter Christ every day. I don't want my life to be built on an experience that was 10, 20, 30 years ago, 32 years ago. I want it to count today. I want to know how in my day I can encounter God. I want to know because I know that when I encounter God, I can carry that interruption of my world into someone else's. I can carry that blessing and I can carry that grace. And then we give and we share the hope for which we believe. I've talked to people and I've talked to people in my office over the years and they struggle with sin and they struggle battling through the Christian way of life. And I always bring them back to, you've got to have an encounter with Jesus. Well, I prayed a prayer. You prayed a prayer. But you pray it from your heart. <gasps> Pastor. I want to pray with you now if you want to pray that prayer. And some don't want to pray it. I'll work it out on my own. Some weep and say, I just want more of Jesus. I just want more. To truly make a difference, to be the difference, it's our experience of Christ that people want. This world has changed so fast this year particularly, and it's just going to get faster, they're saying. It's going into warp speed. There are many laws that are changing. Victoria is proposing some laws that are changing. I won't go into that now. I won't get political. But the world is changing so fast around us. But you know one thing I can hold true to is the Word of God won't change. The truth is the truth. There's a lot of truths out there and they change according to the weather and the flavour and the opinion of man. So can I encourage you, encounter God again today. What would that look like? What would that mean? What would you have to do today that's a little different to be a little closer? A thought, a prayer, an observation, 
Just walking in the garden, walking down the street and going, wow, thank you, Lord. Holding that cup of coffee and saying, thank you, Jesus, for coffee beans. The nectar of heaven. Anyway, what is it for you that you can be thankful for, that you can celebrate, even when not, everything's not right or perfect? What is it? Seek upward and experience and recognise God's grace working in your life. Seek inward. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't do it. Don't, as a youth pastor, I said to the youth, don't get close to the edge and see how, how easy it is to fall off. Don't do it. Stay away from the edge. If you've got wobbly knees, don't go near the edge. And see Christ. Fix your heart on Jesus. I'm going to just invite you to think of this as we sing a song. We're going to close, and that's this. That you've understand at times in the service, we're inviting you to participate. We're inviting you, if you want to come out, we're inviting you to go to someone in the congregation, in here, in the lounge, wherever it is. Even to follow up with a phone call. Last week, Rosemary and I had the privilege of praying with someone in their season, in their journey, in their pain. And we come with stuff. And the whole idea about getting together so that we can be a blessing and we can help carry the load of someone else's. So for some of you, and I loved what David did this morning when he went up and stood. That was a thousand words right then, just stood behind Grenville, who's just processing everything that's going on in his family. And by doing that, that's what we're saying. It's not about a leadership or a leader or two. We should model it. But it's all of us being able to contribute in this space. Asking someone, would you like prayer? Can I stand with you? Can I support you? It's these things that really matter. And the world will see that and they will know it's not by a leader or a leadership team or an individual here or there. It's us getting Christ and sharing it one to another. So don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed to ask for prayer. Don't be. We want you to be. We don't want you to come and go and still feel burdened for some reason. We want you to feel encouraged. But also to ask you to step forward, step out of your seat and learn, hey, can I pray for you? Would you mind? And some people will say no and you go, that's okay. They won't be rude. I don't think they will anyway. You can go back to your seat and pray for them if you sense God leading you. This is what changes a church. This is what changes homes, families, marriages, civilizations, community, towns, regions. This. Seek upward, seek inward, and seek Christ Jesus. God bless you. I invite you, in the freedom of the song even, to stand with someone if you can do that. Keeping the distance, I recognize that. Keeping but just letting him know you're there if you feel that. Let's do that this morning. Thank you. Thanks for that, Louis.